1: PlushCare.com slash You're listening to C-103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed
2: as we welcome you along to the programme hoping we find each and every one of you in very good form today and of course last night it was uh, announced that uh, Tina Turner had died at the age of uh, 83 described as the unstoppable singer and stage performer she had of course teamed up with her husband Ike Turner and they had a very dramatic run of hit records and live shows and that was uh, back into the 60s and into the 70s and then of course we found out afterwards that she survived what could only be described as a a horrifyingly abusive marriage to uh, Ike. But she triumphed. She got away from that marriage and she went on in middle age to have a mega superstar, uh, to become a mega superstar success story. Now, according to her family, she died on Tuesday. It was after a long illness and she died in her home near Zurich in uh, Switzerland. And she'd been living in Switzerland for a number of years, she actually became a Swiss citizen about a decade ago, but she was born in a very different world. She was born Anna Mae Bullock and she was actually born in a segregated Tennessee hospital, as I say, it was a very, very different era and a very different time eighty three years ago. Then she was physically battered, emotionally devastated, and financially ruined by her twenty year relationship with Ike uh, Turner. But she went on to become a superstar in her own right and she was in her 40s at that stage and that was at a time when most of her peers were on the way down and she decided to relaunch her career and she did and successfully relaunched it and then remained a top concert draw for many, many years afterward. afterwards. afterwards she admires everybody ranging from Beyonce uh, to Mick Jagger. And Tina Turner was one of the world's most successful entertainers. She was known for a core of pop. Rock and rhythm and blues, and she had favorites like Proud Mary, Nutbook City Limits, the wonderful River Deep Mountain High, and then of course going up into the eighties when she had hits with like What's Love Got to Do with It, uh, We Don't Need Another Hero, and then of course that wonderful cover of the uh, of Al Green's Let's Stay Together, and then her trademarks, and she had so many trademarks. She had that growling um, voice that was just so unique to a uh, Tina Turner. She had the bold smile. She had a really strong uh, cheekbone. She had a palette of wigs and then it was the legs. For me, it was all about the legs. She had these wonderful, muscular, quick stepping uh, legs. And of course, she didn't shy away from showing them off. Even as she moved on in age, she had wonderful legs and by God, she was going to show them off. Now, it seems she sold more than 150 million records worldwide. In her career, she won 12 Grammys. She was voted now along initially with Ike into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That was in 1991 but then she was voted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in her own right in 2021. She was also honoured at the Kennedy Centre in 2005 with Beyonce and Oprah Winfrey among those who praised her on that particular day and of course her life became the basis of a Broadway uh, musical, a HBO documentary in twenty twenty. One and of course, there was also a film uh, made about her and actually i was i was uh, reading a piece from Uh, Tina Turner last night when she was asked about the movie and she just said, you know, because obviously the movie dealt with that, you know, the the physical and mental and emotional abuse that she suffered at the hands of Ike that she actually found. She couldn't watch the movie because it sort of just brought her back uh, to that time. And if you've read, she has written, um, she wrote wrote a wonderful autobiography, uh, Tina Turner, uh, My uh, Love uh, Story. And... um, but she's written and spoken openly about what she went through at the hands of Ike uh, Turner. I mean, it was, you know, things like he would throw hot coffee in her face, he would choke her, he would beat her until her eyes were swollen shut and then he'd rape her. And at, actually at one show, he broke her her jaw before she went on stage, but she still went on stage with a mouth full of blood and she said anything and anyone could provoke him. And she then just really became uh, her punch bag But then and she lived through that and with that for some 20 years and she admitted at the time that she was uh, both terrified of being with Ike Turner, but she was also terrified of being without him. And then she ended up uh, becoming a Buddhist and she reckoned it was her Buddhist faith. That gave her the strength to leave in the mid 70s. And she snuck away in the, the dead of the night with very, very little money and finally got away from him. And then it was believed that her career was uh, completely uh, over. Uh, but it wasn't. Uh, firstly, at the end, uh, when, after she left him at the end of the 70s, she initially brought out a solo uh, album, but unfortunately that flopped. And then she was doing live shows, but they were mostly confined to the cabaret circuit. But what happened then was many famous famous rock stars are credited with helping to bring her back and put her back onto a worldwide stage. Rod Stewart, for example, he convinced her to sing Hot Legs with him on the Saturday Night Live show. And uh, Mick Jagger, who openly said he borrowed some of Tina Turner's onstage moves, he got her to sing Honky Tonk Woman with, uh, during the Stones 1981-82 tier, uh, tour. And then there was a listening party for Let's Dance for David Bowie in 1983 and he told guests that Tina Turner was his favourite female singer and all of that drew attention back on to Tina Turner and she then released Private Dancer, that album that came out in May of 1984 and really it was that particular album that turned everything in favour of Tina Turner that sold 8 million million copies it featured several hit singles including obviously the title one A Private Dancer and actually that album alone won for her four Grammys and uh, including the record of the year for What's Love uh, Got to Do with It, and that sort of really was the one that changed her life. She went on to find happiness, though, which is fantastic. She wed her longtime German partner and music executive Erwin uh, back. and that was in a civil ceremony in Switzerland in 1920, twenty thirteen. She's actually lived in Switzerland with her partner and now her husband since 1994 now she has unfortunately suffered ill health in recent years she was diagnosed for example with intestinal cancer and then in 2016 she had to have she got intestinal cancer in 2016 but then it was the following year she needed to have a kidney uh, transplant and in one of her autobiographies she admitted that it was Bach her husband who saved her life because he donated one of his kidneys to her in uh, 2017 and there has been a huge outpouring of love and sadness by some of the great singers and actors all over the world. Uh, Social media last night was a wash with people sending condolences to Tina Turner's uh, family but one that really caught my eye was the US singer and actress Bette Midler who said our beloved Tina Turner has died from nutbush to the top. She was an absolutely brilliant performer and an inspiration to all of us. And she finished her tweet with May flights of angels sing her to her rest. But if I know Tina she'll be singing lead and Heidi says uh, Patricia when everybody's talking about uh, Tina Turner nobody seems to ever mention her role and part in Mad Max uh, and that's a particular high for uh, Heidi yeah and I think with uh, Tina Turner everyone will have a particular song that they like or like that a particular movie or something that uh, she did but thankfully her music will uh, live on Oh, eight one don't forget our competitions are continuing today for the Malahome and Garden Festival we'll be looking for another qualifier later on on the programme today your chance to get one step closer to winning a 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint with a colour consultant to come to your home and to help you pick your colour scheme and of course we will have another chance for you to win a Fitbit that's in association with the Irish Heart Foundation all this week we've teamed up with them trying to get us all to stay healthy that's why we're giving away Fitbits and at the end of the week in over prize of a night away for two at Hotel Kilkenny with the Irish Heart Foundation reminding all of us particularly those over the age of 50 to make sure you get your blood pressure checked uh, annually so stay tuned we'll be giving uh, we will be looking for people to take part uh, later on on the programme now you can contact us via the, C, the C103 app if you don't already have our app you can download it now from the App Store
0: Court today on C103
1: with Corrigan Insurances McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See mig.ie.
2: Yesterday we discussed how some families are really struggling, and that's according to the latest Bernardo's survey. And their findings now are backed up by the latest report from Safe Food, which revealed families on a tight budget continue to struggle to buy healthy. Food. Joining me is Dr Aileen McLoyne, who is Director of Nutrition with uh, Safe Food. Good morning to you Aileen. Good
3: morning Patricia. You're,
2: you're welcome to the programme. Now you do this research uh, every two years. I, I take it you've never seen food prices to go up, so, go up by so much in such a short period of time.
3: No, we haven't. We've been carrying out the research since 2014 and the research that I'm talking about is from 2022. So even in 2022, we'd already seen an increase. And as you probably already know, food prices have increased by 16.8% in the last year, according to Cantar data. So a massive jump for people. If we did the research this year, we'd show an even more stark picture than we did from the data last
2: year. And what you do is you you look at different households. You try to cover every household, a typical household in the country.
3: Uh, not every household. What we do is we focus on the most vulnerable households. Okay. So the study is based on six different household types who are on either uh, state welfare or are on minimum wage. So these range from um, a two-parent family with a primary school child and a teenager to, let's say, a pensioner living alone. So all different types of households. And the household that was under the greatest pressure was, as you can imagine, that household with a teenager living in the house. Because from a food perspective, of course, a teen is the equivalent of having an extra adult in the house. And that particular family type were uh, spending 32 percent, so a third of their income on food. So that leaves very little else for everything else that has to be paid from, you know, light, heat, transport and all of the other household costs.
2: And of course, um, Aileen, God, that's a huge amount. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around that of, of the, yeah. weekly, the weekly money coming into, into the house and a third of it going out in uh, food. And we would hear certainly um, anecdotally from some of our own listeners on the programme. It's the one area where families feel they have some flexibility by cutting out or going for cheaper options. I mean, that, therein lies the problem
3: exactly you've really hit it on the head there so you know if something unexpected happens you know a washing machine breaks down in the house the child's pair of shoes need to be replaced one thing that you can be flexible with is the food budget Um, and what people do to cope is to buy cheaper less nutritious foods that actually fill everybody up Um, and of course that's that's obviously not ideal from a nutritional point of view. So that's the kind of thing. And the other thing parents do is they skip meals themselves and ensure their children have food.
2: So sad, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then talk to me about pensioners, um, because I'm, I'm interested in the comparison. If you've got a pensioner couple and then a pensioner living on their own, was there, a diff- there must be a difference there.
3: There is, because there's an economy of scale. So, in fact, um, a pensioner living alone... Uh, will use 19%, according to our findings, of their income on food, compared to 13% for a pensioner living as a couple. And as you know, it's much harder. And actually, uh, single adults were also under pressure of spending 24% of their income on food. And that's because if you're trying to cook for one, uh, either food is packaged in larger quantities than you need in the supermarket, or you know there is an economy of, of cooking for two or more at one time. In fact, proportionally, the costs go up if you're in a household of one.
2: And even people living on, be it on state welfare or on low incomes, do you believe even with the rising food prices, can they eat a healthy diet? Is it possible to do it?
3: Well, w- when we look at the the, the healthy diet, we, we, we call this a minimal healthy and acceptable diet. So it incorporates small aspects of kind of the social part and the psychological part of food. So things like, you know, can you afford a packet of biscuits in case somebody comes around for a cup of tea or a birthday cake for a child once a year. So, you know, we're not talking about extravagance here in any way, but uh, I
1: suppose
3: I would say that the family, you know, the family type that we mentioned as the example where they're spending a third of their income, I, I would say it's almost impossible to continuously have a healthy diet when you're, spending that proportion of your income on food because of those other kinds of pressures that I mentioned that come up periodically. I think that particular family type are extremely vulnerable. And we really need to, I suppose, act now to ensure that a healthy and adequate diet is in the reach of every household, including those on the lowest incomes. So there's a couple of things we need to do. We need to keep an emphasis and the adequacy of welfare payments and minimum wage in the spotlight. Uh, we need to ensure that food prices are reasonable, so that food environment is really important. Um, most of the special offers in the supermarket are for unhealthy foods. We'd like to see a bigger emphasis on special offers for healthy food. There is quite a lot going on to directly address food poverty at the moment. Um, the so- Department of Social Protection actually mapped this last year and published a document on it so I've worked in, in this area for quite a while and, and I suppose there's more going on now and just to give you a, a few examples, anything from nutritional standards for the preschool sector to uh, uh, an increase in the reach of school meals to, to Meals on Wheels, food banks, social supermarkets and so on. So there's quite a lot going on but it's also the most challenging environment that we've had for an awful long time. And in addition to that, uh, at Safe Food, we ourselves were on 13... What we call community food initiatives throughout the island that focus on helping people build their capacity in relation to budgeting uh, planning meals, shopping uh, dealing with waste and so on so all of that is very helpful, but we just need to keep this center stage because it is such a challenging environment at the moment
2: yeah yesterday we uh, we happened to touch on the subject of um, obesity. And we know we've got a rising obesity problem in this country. Would you be fearful that unhealthy diets can and does lead to obesity issues?
3: Uh, Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the predictors, the the, the strongest predictors of body weight is your income and also where you were born. So people who are living in food poverty or or vulnerable to food poverty are also vulnerable to becoming overweight and obese. And that's because of the point that you, you brought up earlier that, you know, if you're uh, buying food that's high in calories, i.e. will fill you up, um, but not provide you with the nutrition that you need, you're much more likely to become overweight and obese. So it's it's kind of a, a vicious circle, if you like. Um, and these two issues are, are very much related, maybe not intuitively to some people, but food poverty and uh, and the risk of, of becoming more overweight and obese are are, are, are go hand in hand.
2: OK, and say as you say, your study was conducted in 2022. So with prices not coming down, I mean, I know we're seeing some of the staples coming down a little bit, but this situation is going to get worse, isn't it, Aileen?
3: Yeah, it, I would think that inflation is slowing a little bit. But, you know, you mentioned the, the cost of staples there. So milk has gone up by 24% eggs have gone up by 18.3%. So, you know, even the most basic of foods that you would have in any uh, shopping basket have gone up dramatically. I know there are some attempts to bring them back down and we would certainly welcome those, but they really have risen, um, I suppose, uh, exponentially in the last 18 months. We'd like to see a halt
2: to that. Okay, so say all of us. (laughs) Aileen, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme.
3: We are welcome. Thank you. Thank you
2: very much. And of course, uh, SafeFood have a wonderful website, uh, safefood.ie, if you want to check out more of the various uh, research that they do. But that's Dr. Aileen McGloin, who is the Director of Nutrition with SafeFood. 0818. 103.103. 103. I can see some people commenting on uh, Tina Turner when I mentioned when I started the programme but we couldn't start any other way but mentioning now the late, great uh, Tina Turner. Uh, Jim says, uh, Patricia, very sad news about uh, Tina Turner's passing. Terry Prone was on TV this morning talking about Tina Turner and she said that when she was personal advisor to Charlie Hawhey for one of the Fianna Fáil Ardashas, Terry Prone decided that they would play simply the best, the song. And she said it really got the crowd going and it got them the crowd going so much. They were all up on their feet dancing and cheering and they were dancing and cheering for so long and in such good form. Listening to Tina Turner's song that it it delayed the Ardette by 10 minutes and they missed the slot on the nine o'clock uh, news. It just showed how electric her songs uh, were. Uh, and yet, says Jim, there was other journalists at the time said they should have played Private Dancer for charity, Hoy instead of Simply the Best. And here's a lovely memory to do with Tina Turner from Anne-Marie in Whelan to say uh, Trish just would like to start by saying may Tina Turner rest in peace we have a very special family memory linked to Tina Turner we lost our very lovely sister Catherine who we called Kath to breast cancer in 2002 now we had the privilege of caring for our sister at home as Kath was one of 12 children near her end in her final days every day she used to ask to dance you <laughs> to Tina Turner's you're simply the best. Two, if not three of us used to have to hold her up particularly in the latter days. We really loved our sister and we really loved how Tina Turner allowed us to express that love through song and dance to Kath. May they both and all our loved ones have gr- many great gigs in heaven going forward. Thank you, And that's, that's a lovely, lovely text. Thank you for that. And that's from Anne-Marie in Moylan. Now Cork County Council has agreed to write to the Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly stressing the need for e-cigarettes to be banned in the workplace. The motion was proposed by Fine Gael Councillor Liam Madden who joins me to explain why. Good morning to you Liam. Good
4: morning uh, Patricia, are you, are Patricia and your, your listeners. Yes,
2: you're, you're very welcome. Are you looking for a ban Liam similar to the smoking
4: ban? Yeah um, I suppose similar yeah and uh, I suppose um, at, at the time that was in actually March twenty nine two thousand and four. It's a long, long time ago. But I suppose we we were one of the first countries um, to, to bring in this. And and I suppose at the time looked at restaurants and bars, education facilities, healthcare facilities, public transport. And I suppose um, over the last few years, I suppose uh, with um, e-cigarettes and the vaping. Um, Certain places, um, you know, it's creeping in. There's more people starting to even come into bars. Um, and there seem to be, you know, you might have a couple of years ago, you were one or two. Now it's it's, it's four or five. And, you know, and there are actually some bars are, won't allow you other places, there is no restriction so they're not actually even going out to the smoking area.
2: Yeah, because you you will see some indoor venues that would clearly have signs saying uh, no vaping. Uh, But it's an because it isn't in law it's an individual choice, isn't it, for the owners of establishments?
4: It it is at present and and, and I suppose, look um, uh, Australia is is actually taking a lead now in in, in banning, in, in, in in public places as well, and you know, and the sale of them as well, um, but look, what what my my emotion was about was look to to venom similar to um the cigarettes, um, and not not banning um, vaping, you know, and and so forth. But and I suppose the sale of them then as well, we we have another problem there because look, they're they being sold individually as well, and and the environment, the problem, and I suppose the big problem at present. Um, I do a good bit of walking myself and the, the disposal them they're being disposed out, out of cars, out onto the road. And you, people when they're picking up rubbish, they're picking up vapes now, which is uh, another.
2: Well, I another know if you speak to any tidy towns groups, they will tell you in the last probably couple of years or so, They've started to notice that, and I mean, it's when you break down these. These are the disposable e-cigarettes, the disposable uh, vapes. I mean, there's actually a little battery inside in those. There's a huge environmental problem yeah. with them just being thrown on the side of the road or, you know, dumped somewhere.
4: Yeah, and and I suppose look, that's a netted problem, and I suppose look, even if you take the the ban on, on cigarettes, you know, um, it. it it, what it has achieved and what it has done but, but even the, the vaping now I, I notice that if you go to events sporting events even they're outdoors and you be you take for instance racing on I've i noticed lately that more and more young people are vaping as well which is uh, I know that there is um, here in, there's a bill going through there that 16 to 18 year olds you have to be 18 to be able to Yeah that's,
2: but, that, that's that piece of legislation isn't in yet No, No. it's not. And 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 I spoke earlier this week with a a youth project that's based in the west of Ireland. And it was just looking at uh, young people and their drinking and cannabis use and smoking, etc. And and it's a survey that's done every two years. And this is the third survey. And the one thing that really stood out in that survey was the amount of young people who have taken up vaping. And that is a real concern.
4: Yeah, and, and I suppose there, there yesterday morning he was on Clare Borden as well on, on radio in relation to the psychology expert on there, Dr. David Coleman, which would be well known and he he expressed the concerns, I suppose, um, what, you know, so he's, he goes, okay, some of these products contain nicotine but the after effects and what he what can and I suppose what I'm trying to is, is look at that if the bill has gone through at present, if there could be an addition added for it in relation to it because if we don't do it now we'd be we'd better to do it sooner rather than later because we'd be there in a few years' time otherwise and we'd be saying, Why why didn't we not spend these uh,
2: Yeah, things. it's it's kind of like when you look back when cigarettes first came in and nobody knew the health implications yeah. of them and there was TV adverts and it was the sexiest and the coolest thing uh, to be smoking at the time. And then it took a large number of years for them to realise these are very bad for people's health. And I suppose the real fear factor with vaping and e-cigarettes were not really going to know for probably 10, 15, 20 years the damage that they may be doing
4: yeah and i think that's that's the big problem but like we could alleviate some of that like if if we look if if we do bring in the the ban in relation to public places I, I think that's that's um it's it's not a big ask but it it can you know it, we 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 might say in a few time what it what it did achieve you know and 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 we can see look the effects of what what smoking has achieved and and i suppose when we brought that in two thousand and four I remember being in Australia and, and the big thing that was being talked about at that time was Ireland and the smoking and the plastic bag. Yeah,
2: we've led the way. We, yeah. we certainly have led the way and I was reading a report out uh, from the BBC uh, yesterday and this was to do with vapes that were collected at a secondary school in the uh, UK and they took them away for testing and they couldn't believe when they looked at these vapes they were vapes that had been confiscated by uh, secondary school pu- pupils. It showed the high levels of lead and uh, nickel and they were saying that the young people who had been smoking them were inhaling more than twice the day safe amount of lead and nine times the safe amount of uh, nickel. Uh, so, you know, you know, the, even the World Health Organization are saying high levels of lead exposure in children can affect the, the central nervous system. It can affect uh, brain development. So the young people that are taking it up have no idea of the dangers and what they're doing for their future health.
4: Yeah, and, and I suppose, look, it, 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 I suppose with the young people present, I, I think there's a thing out there. Look, it's cool to be um, you know, using the e-cigarettes. E- you know, it, it's cool to be vaping. I think that's the kind of a, a thing out there, and it's, it's it's alarming, I suppose. But I suppose the sale of them as well is going to be. Um, you know, I I, I know that the, the law in Australia is that you'll only be able to get them in farms. So.
2: It, and you it, need it, a, in Australia, you need a prescription from, you need a, from, from prescription. a doctor. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. And actually, if you're if you're found in possession of them in Australia you you and you don't have a prescription, you can be fined now I'm not looking for anything like that here okay. i i look i suppose what, what i i know that um I remember being at a wedding as well, and I see the situation- where someone constantly ve during the meal um which was and that you know you know when you see that coming in like it's 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 it, it, if 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 we keep going that way we we will have and and then we'll be trying to. Get back and I mean we, we had we, we had have led fierce example here and I think we need we need to um, and if if we if we can um, even if we can't come in this bill I think that it should be lobbied that uh, maybe in, in the future bill that it could be an amendment or something but I think it's important that. We act now rather than later, do you know. Yeah, because
2: we're going to go back to the glory days of when you walked into a pub and you couldn't see anyone with the amount of smoke if everybody is allowed to start vaping inside the premises.
4: Yeah, and I, I suppose, look, we we all, everyone enjoys looking out socially and, and I, I suppose, look, if people do want to, to vape, why not? why not let them go out and... and Do it outside, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Uh, because, I, I and I know, and I can see a couple of texts uh, coming in with the argument, what about the people who use vaping and e-cigarettes to give up smoking? That, you know, surely they're better than smoking cigarettes.
4: Yeah, and, and I suppose that's a thing we, we, we don't know either. And, and and I suppose there is another theory out there as well, that if young people start vaping, that's a certain percentage of them are likely to go smoking after. So, you know, you you have to look at it that way as well. So there is um, there is a lot, I suppose, we are only picking up information, I suppose, and, and in the health side of it, I suppose there's only different things starting to come out. But I suppose the alarming thing as well is there's so many types of vapes out there and so many different types of flavours and this and that. So, well, a lot, and,
2: and a lot of the flavours and the colouring of the disposable vapes, uh, leem. Are almost aimed at children, you know, chewing gum flavor and strawberry flavor, yeah, and, and you know, the, it, and the bright colors. I mean, to me, they look like they're aimed at children.
4: Yeah, well, the the marketing is definitely being the way it's being done, and, and that that is that is the alarming thing about it. And because some some people have said that to me in relation to, uh, you know, you think you're buying chewing gum or you're buying something, um, you know, it's, it's and then. Once, once that starts, and, and the the one thing is, I suppose, look, if we if we can restrict, I suppose the sale, I suppose the fact now that sixteen to eighteen year old, you'll have to be eighteen, that everything will help, you know. Um, but but getting back to them, my my emotion, I, if 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 we can start with them things, um, and because I would have got calls and people would have said to me, um, you want to spend, you want to bend. Cigarettes, no, and I, I didn't say that. I actually, that was not my motion. My motion. It's to ban it
2: indoors.
4: Yeah, depending. yeah, the same it's as, as the cigarettes. Day. Cigarettes yeah, were exactly. never
2: banned. They were just.
4: Exactly. And did
2: you get the full backing of the council, Liam?
4: I did. I did. I got the full backing of the council on that. We had no. um you know, dissenting voices on that and I think that was good and it was a good it was a good debate on it you know
2: Yeah and I can um, actually see there's a lot of a lot of listeners uh, texting and calling and saying well done to Councillor at uh, Madden lots of people calling for vaping uh, to be banned including Shay, who says ban vaping and ban e-scooters all equally dangerous but in different ways not everybody's still happy with the e-scooters Alright Leam listen we leave it there thank you for that yeah, thanks, Patricia. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks, uh, thanks thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Councillor Liam Madden. Would you agree with Liam? He's not looking for a complete ban on e-cigarettes. He's not looking for a complete ban on vaping, but he's looking to have introduced what was introduced for cigarettes that you wouldn't be able to smoke in the workplace or obviously in restaurants or inside in pubs. As I say, I mean, the majority, I would say the majority of restaurants and, and pubs do have signs up saying no vaping, but lean reckon slowly but surely others now are starting to allow it and of course what will happen is if one person if you're in a venue and you see one person vaping lo and behold you'll start seeing more people vaping when they say oh it must be okay to vape here and before long everyone will be vaping indoors do we need to ban it indoors and move it outside into the smoking area Martin Infamoy smokes rolled up tobacco Um, and he accepts it's uh, not very good but he said his daughter vapes and he said he actually has been and coughs mad whenever she uses the vape he tried the vape one day and he said nearly killed me didn't agree with him at all ban the whole thing and actually Martin as a smoker says ban cigarette smoking completely He's down to seven cigarettes a day. Now, he's been trying to kick the habit for quite some time. Some of your calls are coming in. Mary Imbera was on to us earlier. She said she was driving this morning and she was driving in the Adrigole area. And she noticed that the local council workers were cutting down hedges, bushes and more. She described it as a destruction of our wonderful wildlife, the cutting down Fuchsia bushes. They're cutting bluebells, and she said, "Yes, we've got all these announcements telling us not to cut our lawns in the month of uh, month of May, which many people are adhering to, and that's just good for the wildlife. But she said, and for the bee population. But why are the councils cutting back beautiful fauna in the area? The destruction of the fuchsia, in particular, Mary said, was terrible to watch. Now I'm wondering: is it a health and safety uh, issue? Is it an area where maybe motorists have been complaining that the hedgerows have overgrown I don't know because that we're in the middle of the season that you're not allowed to cut back hedgerows etc unless it is a health and safety issue so I don't know if anybody can throw light on what's going on near Adrigal and why the council are out what Mary describes as destroying the uh, fauna in the area, but it's the fuchsia, the beautiful f- fuchsia in West Cork, that she's upset to see being cut back. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. We were talking about cost of food, and in particular that survey that's out from uh, Safe Food, a survey that they do every two years, but just showing looking at individual fa- different sort of family makeups and trying to work out what kind of food they're buying and of course it's showing that many families just don't have the money to eat a healthy diet because if you go for a really healthy diet, some of that food can be very expensive. Robert in though comes in defence of food producers. He says nothing is going to change. Food prices are certainly not going to come down unless energy costs start to fall. How can food producers produce food with the high energy costs and not pass on those costs to the uh, consumers. As he says, no point, no point looking at the producers and pointing the finger of blame at them. Many of those are indeed are only just about breaking uh, even. Uh, And he does make a point. uh, Energy costs haven't come down in in any way. I know they came down for some businesses and some utility companies reduced it for businesses but certainly not by enough. I mean we are it's ridiculously high energy bills and everybody's waiting on the first domestic electricity bill to arrive in without the 200 euro credit. Wait and see. I'm I'm imagining we're going to get a flurry of texts and calls in from uh, listeners. A North Cork listener says Patricia on the price of food price of food at the moment is way too much. As a family we had to give our dog away. Why? Because we couldn't afford to feed him. There are times when we can barely feed ourselves. Monday and Tuesdays are the toughest days. Some Mondays and Tuesdays we only have tea and bread. This is no way to live. This North Cork listener said it's a sad state for affairs that our government are letting this uh, happen or the government will say they're trying to do everything that they can uh, to help. But it saddens me to hear you say you had to give up your dog but you're not on your own. There's others that have had to do that as well and that's a very, very hard decision to make. And to hear you say when you've got bread and tea on a Monday and Tuesday you obviously get paid on a Wednesday and you can restock up again. And I know it's difficult for people but there are many wonderful charities out there charities that are giving out food hampers and will give out food hampers particularly like that for Mondays and Tuesdays to tide you over until you get your money so that you can buy food again so please reach out I don't know where in North Cork you're texting us from but I guarantee you there will be a local Vincent de Paul society There could be uh, one of the the food groups in the area one of the feed Cork groups in your area that hand out hampers and they do it very discreetly and very quietly Uh, so please reach out because nobody should be be trying to survive on tea and bread for forty-eight hours while you're waiting for your money uh, to come in. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three, and then a pensioner because one of the studies, one of the family groups that Safe Food looked at, they looked at a pensioner, a couple, two pensioners living together and then they looked as a single pensioner and trying to compare how they were coping at the moment with the rising cost of uh, living and this is a two, ha- two a two household pensioner household uh, once we get up in the morning our cost of living starts with electricity then food we can't buy fresh food and vegetables firstly there's the cost and I'll and often the quantity is simply too much for both of us. Buy one, get one free. That certainly is not for us. I find now it's actually cheaper to buy pre-prepared meals. You've got no waste or no bin charges. We are very hard pressed at the moment. We worked all of our years Self-employed. We had to sell up. We, I was a bar owner. Very unhealthy environment. As my wife also worked in the business while rearing her two children, there wasn't enough income coming into the bar to give her a wage. But that was very much the norm at the time. When I got my pension, it was like winning the jackpot. I finally had a weekly income that we could live on for the first time in 50 years. Now, the cost of living is sliding me back to those old days again. It's disgraceful. It looks like the fat cats are getting fatter and pensioners, we are barely surviving. There's no luxuries. There's no outings. To be honest, I prefer to stay at home because by staying at home, I'm not tempted to buy something that I simply cannot afford. It's not really sad. And that's that's a double pension household and uh, that really is. Uh, is heartbreaking heartbreaking uh, to read but thank you for reaching out with the, your text I don't know if you'll take any comfort from the fact that the social protection minister uh, Heather Humphreys, is uh, saying that it is looking like she'll she's fighting for a 10 euro rise for pensioners and those on carers and those on disabilities and that's going to be part of the social welfare package in the budget but of course the budget will get announced in October but it'll be the budget for 2024 so those increases probably won't kick in until at the very best we can expect they won't kick in until january i don't know if 10 euro and i was in a double pension will that be 20 euro extra you will get i don't know if that's going to make uh, much of a difference uh, to you last year it was a 12 euro across the board uh, rise that was rolled out but of course it was also rolled out there was a number of lump sum payments as well to try to help with the cost of living don't know if there's going to be any lump sum uh, payments but the 10 euro is certainly going to be less than the twelve euro that paid out uh, last year, and the minister for social welfare said she's obviously she realises that others uh, need support as well, but she particularly wants to focus on, on pensioners, those with disabilities, and those who are working as uh, carers. So I don't know if she's already intimating that while she'll get ten euro for the pensioners, the carers, and the disability allowance, everybody else on social welfare then will get less. Will we will we be back to the the fiver um, a week now if she does? managed to get that across the line, a 10 euro increase in the state pension would cost the state 377 million extra each uh, year. But that 10 euro is far short of the 20 euro increase that a number of organisations are already lobbying for ahead of the budget. I mean, people like Age Action on behalf of pensioners, they're looking for uh, 20 euro. And I know the National Disability Authority, they're also looking for an extra 20 euro and that's... uh, Heather Humphreys is saying it'll be half of that. So, as I say, I don't know to that particular listener if that'll give you any uh, comfort at all. 0818 103 103. And then Michael's on about a completely different issue. This is the issue and the suggestion of flotels. Michael says the notion of flotels on the River Liffey is just another branch of insanity. There are plenty of empty hotels all over the country that could be rolled out pretty instantly for asylum seekers. There's plenty of vacant dance halls, warehouses, empty houses throughout the length and breadth of the country. How much more of this, trying to pack as many people into the capital city, can we take? On this budget, windfall and the money, the money that's rolling in from the corporate tax. I still maintain that the two most important things that should be done with any excess money that the government has is to assist the middle income with tax assistance and then money needs to go to rural infrastructure that is most important. Without that we are going nowhere and never will. Well we, we've already this week spoken about it was the three Fine Gael um, junior ministers who came out this week. Who was it? Jennifer Carroll Jennifer MacNeill, Martin Hayden and And uh, Peter Burke, they did a a news, one of these news op pieces on the paper, and they were saying that that squeezed middle, uh, and I'm assuming that's who you're talking about, Michael, that they should get at least a thousand euro uh, extra into their pockets after tax, a 1,000 euro, and that they're pushing for the government that they're a part of to start looking at the income tax and looking at the income tax for the squeezed uh, middle. But they're Fine Gael backbenchers and I know there was a lot of criticism, including from the at uh, Micheál Martin, and he strongly uh, criticised them and it looks like already uh, we have them, they're all kind of tentatively looking towards the next election. So it looks like even within the government parties, there's already kite flying going on and who's going to say well we pushed that across the line and the other party uh, didn't but uh, so yes it has been mooted but just on your the flotels that you're talking about they're not just for Dublin because I know I was reading a piece during the week that the government they're going out to tender now for these so-called uh, flotels. The tenders will go out later this s- summer and the whole idea is, is to try to secure much-needed accommodation space particularly for asylum seekers. The Department of Equality has confirmed that it intends to publish a request for tender-seeking floating accommodation for the international protection applicants and that's followed detailed investigation and analysis of their use by officials and I'm assuming they've looked to other countries because other countries successfully have used these are called flotels floating accommodation. So obviously Ireland are saying, well, if other countries can do it, they work well. Why can't we uh, use them? Now what we don't know at this stage is the exact details of where the flotels will be uh, birthed. But there has been talks that there will be, some will be in Dublin. There are suggestions, some will be in Cork. I think Galway has also been uh, mentioned. And actually just last weekend the Sunday Independent revealed that the department repeatedly turned down several offers of cruise ships, cruise ships that are no longer being used and they turned them down to accommodate thousands of refugees last year. But a reassessment of the proposal has now come and obviously that's in the wake of what is an unprecedented accommodation uh, crisis and we know we have refugees and asylum seekers who are continuing to sleep on our streets up to I think it was about Tuesday the numbers um, sleeping on the streets was at 199 I mean that was down it was 550 at one stage but 199 people sleeping on the streets is still uh, too many. Uh, the Taoiseach Leo Radcourt this week told uh, uh, speaking in the Dáil says that the country is facing a major refugee crisis and it's struggling to deal with the numbers of arrivals. Uh, he says we know he said, we would have seen most years between three and four thousand people who would have arrived in Ireland looking for protection. But obviously, because of those fleeing the war in Ukraine in the past year, closer to 100,000 have come here either to, from Ukraine. And then there's a large number of people seeking international protection. And that's from other parts of Europe and outside of Europe. And obviously, the government are struggling to cope with that numbers uh, coming in. The Integration Minister, Roger O'Gorman, confirmed the government is, continuing, is considering these flotels as one way to help ease the strain. And he said he has um, looked, he's looking at all the options and he has to look at all of the options given the uh, crisis. So I don't know, uh, Michael, from your text, are you saying, are you against just against the flotels being put in Dublin because as a capital, you know, they are packed. There's, you know, a third of the country live in the capital uh, city. So if they're going to go with the flotels, then put them in other parts of the country instead. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 C 103, 103. 103 Jobs. Shout out for carpenters that wanted to work in Clonakilte. You you must have your own tools and you need to have experience with first and second fix. You need to have a safe pass, manual handling and abrasive wheels. Um, I don't have details. If you go to our uh, job link online, you'll get the details there. CE Scheme um, is available in Milford, Jermina and Fremont. You need to email Evelyn O'Keefe at dvalley.ie. A HGV driver is required for Kelco Transport in Mill Street. Apply to Shane at 87 7730837. And a full-time accounts administrator is required at Amberley Nursing Home That's in Fomoy. Full-time position. Job does come with an immediate start. You can call Amberley on 025-409-00. You'll find all the details and many, many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103.
0: Court today on
1: C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group, for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. Cmig.ie.
2: The Children's Minister Rodrigo Gorman announced the appointment of a director who will oversee the excavation of the tomb, mother, and baby home. To discuss uh, what is expected to happen, I'm joined by historian and longtime activist on behalf of victims and survivors of the home and the wonderful Catherine Corliss. Uh, Good morning to you Catherine. Hello Patricia, thank you for this lovely introduction. Well it's always great uh, to talk (laughs) uh, talk to you because of course you were the one who uncovered the remains back in 2014. Did you ever expect that it would take this long to begin the work?
5: Well my goodness uh, Patricia I did not because uh, by 2017 when they they realised that these were the home babies and not uh, famine bones that were in that corner. Uh, I really thought that time that there would be an outrage. Well, there was an outrage, but not from the authorities I wanted it from. But uh, it was put on hold, and it was it's an absolute disgrace that it went on for so long. I mean, we're nearly six years in now, and uh, the archaeologists did advise at the time to get those little remains out within the space of six months, if possible, because it was only a temporary uh, cover that they put down on top of Uh. the chambers.
2: And I know there there isn't a timeline for when the work will actually begin. But when it does begin, how long do you expect it will take? Well, I, I would like to
5: have a timeline or to know and hopefully in the next few weeks we might get a view of that. I can only envisage that. I know that a team of archaeologists have to get together, and uh, he has to. Uh, the, the, uh, the director, uh, Daniel McSweeney, he has to arrange a lot of things in the next couple of weeks or months. I don't know which, but uh, that, that's we're really waiting on that timeline. But I know we are told that it's a phased excavation/exhumation, and I think it's. He's been given about two years, maybe. To, to do it all and I mean it's not just the grotto area it's right outside where the playground is and it's uh, on the roadway in I mean they're everywhere the poor little things
2: uh, but, but, but you know for sure where some of them definitely are
5: No we don't know that do for sure not, That's uh, the that's that's big question I mean all I have is death certs And I had to work on that, and I couldn't find them anywhere else. Now, we know there are stories of uh, uh, false adoptions, and that that may have happened. Maybe all those babies haven't died at all, because uh, the death certs are a little bit, uh, I mean, they're questionable. Because, uh, I mean, they're they're signed off by uh, one woman who lived in the home and who uh, was a kind of a secretary for the nuns. Her name is on everything. And they are a bit, uh, you could question a lot of them. So we just don't know until they go in and until they start excavating and exhumating.
2: Okay, and this this gentleman, Daniel McSweeney, who's been appointed as the director, are you impressed with his credentials?
5: Well, very much so. I mean, uh, he's used to this. He's been uh, he's been involved in mass exhumations out in the war torn countries. His job has been to look for the, the missing. Well, I mean, we have seven hundred and ninety-six missing babies. You could say at this stage. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, they say it's complicated. I know Minister O'Gorman said it was one of the worst uh, kind of um, work in the, that he has to do. That he reckons it's even harder than what he has been, what he's come across before. The fact that they were down in the chambers of a tank and to get down into it without damaging the little remains that are there that are left. And uh, it is complicated, but uh, I, I'm very happy that this day has come and that it will be that it is finally being, uh, you know, been looked into, and, and that there will be excavated. That's the one thing I asked for all along, that they were in a sewage tank, no matter what way that that the authorities decorated it. And I know there was pressure to put up a memorial, and I had to fight quite hard uh, over the last few years to, to say that, you know, just to say that no there's no way out of this only to get them out of it. It's a sewage tank. Yeah. Full we'll stop and to get them out of it. Yeah,
2: at the end of the day, that's what it is. Yeah, and, that's and, what it and is. And nobody yeah. wants to think of their loved one's remains inside in a sewage tank.
5: No, absolutely not. I just, I, I could not figure it out. I just couldn't uh, come to terms with it back in 2017. I mean, all those babies were, were missing, we could say at the time. And so humming and Horn and they brought in every kind of uh, 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 blockage and uh, everything that they could think of between the Galway County Council and between the religious, the church, the, the state. They, they came up with ridiculous theories, and uh, they just tried to put it on the long finger. And uh, it did take quite a lot of effort and many, many anxious months, but uh, it's worth it at the end. That, yeah. uh that they're doing it now, and we'll just look forward and, and see what can be done. But I would like to keep in there with the with the, uh, you, with the the director just to see and, and to understand what they're at. And I think survivors as well, they need to know every step of the way what is happening besides just... Uh, I know they'll close the whole area up around the, where the grotto is. That'll be all boarded up like it was before. And uh, I... I
6: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right.
5: Because uh, well, God can knows that. Yeah.
2: We, we've had enough secrecy, we've had enough lies. Yes,
5: in connection exactly. with
2: mother and baby homes, they need they need to be very upfront. It it struck me when I was when I was thinking about you, you coming on the program today, Catherine, yeah. and I was thinking about these babies. You know, particularly the ones in the storage tank. Yeah. Do you ever stop and reflect uh, as to who made that decision and how many people at the time knew that that's what they were doing with little babies? remains, putting it into a sewage tank?
5: Well I know, well first of all um, well the sisters knew it, uh, they must have come up with the idea and the Galway County Council own all that site, they, I mean before the sisters moved it in at all it was always in the hands of, the, uh, of the, the, the guardians of the poor when the workhouse was there and then that transferred into Galway County Council. I mean they knew well those, those, they, they were calling to the home every three months to check the ledgers uh, the, the health board and the Galway County Council at the time so they would have known that there was babies dying and and as well as that there was a a, a doctor uh, appointed as well just uh to, to, to oversee the home uh, he would have known and uh, I mean anyone who called there uh, surely to goodness uh, people a lot of people must have known that so so many babies were dying, and we knew they weren't in the tomb graveyard which is just across the road because there was no sign there was no sign of a hearse or coffins or in nothing. And a lot of uh, a lot of the ordinary people were shocked at the time because I mean they, they didn't know they saw nothing happening. So it was just a cruel kind of a, a hidden kind of a, a secret between themselves. It was a con- they all con- they all kind of got together and just got, came up with the idea. That's that's my estimation anyway.
2: That's it's the way the, I see it's it. It's the utter disrespect and and just the cruelty of it, uh, of it all. Especially yeah. because as a nation, yeah. we are. You know, we are so good at respecting our yeah, de- our, our exactly. data de- that I, well, I that was I just, my point. Uh, yeah. I just I can't I yeah. can't get into it. I remember reading yeah. a, a famine piece out. Uh, I think it was down in Bantry of yeah. uh, a woman God help her and she'd lost so many for children. But she arrived at a doctor's door with her dead son in, in her arms, yeah. looking oh, for God. money to pay to get the child buried. She didn't want money yeah. for food, even though she was starving herself. Oh, but I even oh, thought, I see. you know, it's it's even important. yeah, even it's during famine important. times, it was yeah. it, it it was important. Anyway, listen, I listen, I I, I, I I digress. So, are you planning on? Me, I know Daniel McSweeney is engaging. I'm told already uh, with relatives. Uh, has he reached out to you yet?
5: Uh, well, uh, I know um, I did request from Minister O'Gorman, and he has been helpful. Now, Roger O'Gorman has been very helpful and uh, true to his word. I must say that now, compared to many other. Other ministers I'd have been in touch with, but but, uh, no, he was true to his word, and he he would let me know if if it wasn't happening this week, it would happen the following week, that kind of thing, you know. Okay, great. And uh, he didn't fob me off like like I've been fobbed off so much over the years. I hear they're everywhere, but uh, no, I won't. But, but uh, your no, dog your he hasn't messed with. He yeah, hasn't yeah, but he, will. he will. I'm sure. Yeah, but I know but your
2: your dogged determination, Catherine. You ain't given yeah. up yet for sure. Is there somebody no. wants to know? Is there any indication of what will happen to the remains of those little ones after they're exhumed?
5: Well, uh, I know there's an office in Galway opened for the director, okay. and uh, I, I presume it, it has to be a very big, a big office because uh, the, the, he has to decide how to take the babies out. You know, we, what are they going to put the little remains in while they transfer them? to uh, this particular area wherever they'll bring them at the, and uh, I know it's gruesome <clears throat> it's a gruesome thought but they have to put them back to bed, together as best as they can to make a little body and uh, that's the that's the raw truth of it and uh, I I would hope to keep uh, to keep in touch with with the director just to just to know just to, he might my a bit of advice might help him because I know the area inside out and uh, hopefully I would just like to know and, and for survivors should know step by step uh, what's happening? And uh, the, the thing is, uh, the, the idea is uh, to identify the little remains with DNA, uh, to get DNA from uh, the, the families, mm. which to be able to uh, get back the little, uh, the, the little brother, sister, whatever, in, in a proper, white coffin. And uh, it's up to them to decide. Then, do they want to? I'm sure they would want them back with wherever they're and they, they can, are, bur- yeah, they can yeah, bury them. With their, bury
2: them with their own people.
5: Absolutely, that's the yeah. whole idea. That's what they want. That's what they ask for, and that's what I campaigned for.
2: And what, what did you make, by the way, also of the appointment of uh, Sheila Noonan? Now, I would have spoken to Sheila Noonan many times on the programme when she was the General Secretary of the mm. INTO. She's a, she's a great woman. She's mm. now to lead the negotiations with the religious bodies. That's mm. in relation to contributions for the redress scheme. I, are you pleased with that? Oh,
5: absolutely. But I mean to say, uh, what, uh, I, I thought with all the apologies and everything, uh, well, I would hope I would hope the bon course would contribute to Tume, especially you know especially for the for, for the ex, excavation because I mean they're part and parcel of that more so than any of the other the other uh, congregations. But uh, as regards the redress, yes, and it's, I mean you'd imagine that they all apologise that they would just come forward and say what can how can we help, uh, what can we contribute, but that doesn't happen. It's it's a shame that uh, more money has to go into uh, getting an advisory, getting a getting a, Go between just just to um get the money out of these religious people and it's it's a shame because i mean there's no there's no such thing as uh, they're, they're well able to afford it at this stage
2: they made and, uh, they they i don't made a I, lot lot I don't understand
5: money. it I, absolutely yeah. i don't understand why the why she's needed, but it's good that they have her anyway at least and that that she will be able to get her. Funding for them for the
2: redress. Okay, and I, I read online before I came on air today a woman whose mother and grandmother were sent to a mother and baby home in County oh Westmeath. She yeah. is. She reckons that they we need to have ex- excavations at the sites of every single mother and baby home. United. I know that
5: uh, that's going to be a difficult one. I know that the, uh, he more or less said it there the other day, but I didn't realize it. I know it was passed in law that it is open, that the law is there now, that it is uh, possible or, or, you know, it is allowed to, to investigate uh, the burial places of other mother and baby homes. But it, it was specifically said on Tuesday that uh, this advisory board and, and this director is only for Tune. Now, we didn't know that before, but uh, I, I do believe if, if, if I know that Vesper and, and um, Ross Cray, they really are hoping that, that the same will be done for them. But it's going to, they're going to have to start now. They're going to have to get a, get a, um, a party together and, and uh, they're and going to it. have to fight for it. Yeah, and, yeah. and first of all, first and foremost, I would say to get evidence because I wouldn't have a hope if I hadn't the facts in front of me that couldn't be argued with. So I would say that's the first step. Get, 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 get a group together. Get evidence of what you have. If 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 you even find one area where there's an Ill- illegal burial, because that's quite specific in the in the terms that there must be it must be babies, like chum that were interred without dignity in, a, in 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 an improper way, and if they could find even one baby like that that, that, that would be a great start. Well. But it will, it will take a fight. Okay. They need to start now if they, if
2: they, need, if they want that. Alright and finally Catherine, can you now see the day, uh, it's sometime into the future, when you'll finally say this is over for you and you can close this chapter in your life?
5: Well when things are underway maybe another year's time, when I see uh, things turning out the way we want them, when I see activity, when I see results, maybe then But at the moment, I I hope it just won't be dragged out. I hope it won't be half done. I doubt it will with this man because he has such expertise. And uh, we can only hope and hope for the best with that. Okay. And uh, time will tell. And, and just we, we will just I, I would hope to just uh, watch the movements and
2: just keep in touch. with Okay, them. and we'll keep in contact with you, Catherine. Pleasure Do as always. Thank you. Thanks a yes. million for talking to us. All Good right. morning okay, to I you. Bye bye, bye bye. That bye. is the absolutely inspiring and amazing uh, Catherine Corliss uh, from uh, Tum. And by by the way, the gentleman we were talking about, Daniel McSweeney, who's been uh, appointed. He worked with the International mm-hmm. Committee for the Red Cross uh, for 15 years. And he's worked all over the world as an envoy uh, for for disappeared people, including, you know, places like wars in Georgia, Armenia and Azerbaijan. So he does have, as Catherine said, very very good credentials. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. And by the way, I can see a couple of texts and calls coming in asking me, was there another accident on the main street in Charleville uh, yesterday? Uh, so we've got onto the Gardaí, and we're told a collision did happen at about half past eight yesterday morning at Holy Cross Place in Charleville. Gardaí are investigating the incident. It was a vehicle collided with a pedestrian. The, um, the pedestrian uh, youth in his teens taken to University Hospital Limerick. Now thankfully his injuries were described as non-life-threatening. No arrests were made. Gardi are... Um Continuing their investigations, but of course it is the latest incident involving a pedestrian in uh, Charleville. Following for two very very sad uh, fatalities on the main street, but thankfully this this young lad it looks like is going to make a full recovery. But unfortunately, yes, the latest incident in Charleville. And we are off to Bandon the station where I'm joined by Garda James Masters uh, for this week's Garda File. Good morning to you, James. Good morning Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the program. And we start with a little bit of good news. Hopefully for somebody there was a sum of money found in Kinsale
7: yes that's correct Patricia Um, on Monday the 15th of May um, late in the evening a wallet was handed into Kinsale Guard station by uh, a member of the public Patricia Um, it contained a large sum of money but unfortunately there was actually no form of ID inside in the wallet Um, So I suppose what we're asking is that if anyone knows of anyone that has actually lost a large sum of money or or themselves are listening, to contact Kinsale Garda Station on 021 477 9250. And hopefully we can um, reunite that with the with the owner.
2: Okay, and for obvious reasons, we're not giving out the details of what the wallet looks like or how much was 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 in it. But it would be fantastic exactly. to reconnect it with the owner. And well done to some very honest yes, person. Very uh, much uh, so. Obviously. Yeah, we we
7: see that on a daily basis. There's, there's an awful lot of good people in the uh, world. That, that's you know?
2: that's fantastic. Mm. A traffic uh, collision in Bandon that you're looking for help with. Yes.
7: Uh, On Tuesday, the 15th of May, uh, between 2pm and 4.30pm, there was a grey Hyundai 30 parked in Kilbrogan Hill and Bandon, Patricia. Uh, Between this time, there was was actually a significant amount of damage done to the front of the vehicle. Unfortunately, the actual offending vehicle left the scene. Um, I suppose what the Gardaí are looking for is that at that time, it, it was a particularly busy day, and um, there was school collections. Um, if there was anyone in the area that saw something significant like that, um, or also checking dash cam footage and contact back in the garage station if there's um, if there's anyone that has seen anything, you know.
2: That's it's a particularly mean thing. And listen, anyone can have an accident and uh, hit into another vehicle, but to drive away is, is it's a particularly mean, mean thing to do.
7: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I suppose the man was parked there for two hours came back, and there was a mass amount of damage done ah. it. that's going to cost a mass amount of um you know money, money and yeah. you know and uh, like hopefully we will have a good outcome of this um and it would be great if if the if the public helped us in this situation
2: particularly as you say, the dash cam uh, footage now, yeah. a trailer uh, taken this is a and cross.
7: That's right, yeah. Uh, I suppose this is a bit of an unusual one, Patricia. Um, uh, Between 7pm on Friday the 12th of May and the earlier hours of Saturday morning the 13th of May um, a trailer, uh, a a bit of a trailer was taken from the side of a road in Gaggins Cross in Bandon. Um, Now this particular trailer is wine in colour and there's a red gas bottle attached. Now that could be since uh, replaced. And also there's a Ward and Burke um, sticker on the back again that could easily be taken off as well. I suppose it is a very distinctive piece of equipment and it's an expensive piece of equipment. And what we would ask really, Patricia, is that you know it'll only apply to a certain amount of people. It may be people that are in the tarmac trade, could get offered this over the next couple of weeks to buy and um, if they do maybe contact Banning Arid Station with information if, if possible
2: okay and somebody may have seen something that at the yeah. time didn't stand out as unusual but now reflecting things yeah it could be. and again yeah, it, yeah, dash it is cam very footage distinctive.
7: exactly that's exactly it um, like it is very distinctive wine and colour and it's not something that you'd see maybe being told every day of the week either so, um, so as I said it could just trigger off someone thinking about that and more importantly the people people that are in the tarmac trade could have seen this or maybe have been offered it over the last couple of weeks um, to contact the Garda station here with any information would be great.
2: Okay, a couple of burglaries mm-hmm. in the Bandon uh, district.
7: Yes, I, I suppose since my, my colleague Sergeant McCarthy has been on the air two weeks ago um, we've had two burglaries in the Bandon district. Um, although actually Gardaí have identified two suspects uh, in this case and, and the investigation is progressing well it's just worth pointing out um, that the houses that are actually tagged at the time weren't locked, Patricia. Um, we we just are obviously giving advice in relation to, obviously, vehicles and cars, even if you're, or, or houses, if you are leaving the house, even for five minutes to go to the shop, to lock up, lock up your back doors, your front doors and any outhouses, um, even if it's only them five minutes because there's opportunities out there, you know.
2: Okay, the the Youth uh, Awards this Friday?
7: yes uh, Yeah. very much looking forward to this Patricia uh, 27th West Cork Art Youth Ward um, it's on in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen um, applicants again as every year uh, are a very high standard and I uh, know the judging committee had um, a hard time picking the winners just to go through the winners Patricia if you don't mind okay. um, um, we had um, six overall winners uh, uh, Heidi uh, Harmony in Un- Union Hall uh, Dara Walsh in and Orna O'Brien in Drina, Sive Burke in McCroom, Megan Fitzgerald in Bandon, and Katie Appleby in Inneskeen. We had four district award winners. Uh, the Bandon district was Root Fair in Bandon. The Bantry award was Caitlin uh, uh, O'Sullivan in Gowleen. The Clonakilty award was Leah Carey in Skibreen. And the McCroom award was Ashling Crowley in McCroom. Uh, we had two group awards, Patricia, uh, uh, Farah O'Shea and Yvonne Lynch in Bantry and uh, Mount St. Michael debating team in Ross Carberry also with that. There's six special achievement awards and they went to Oshina O'Connor in kalekill, Abby Sarah Hurley in Nottingree Efa Lucy in McCroom uh, Kieran Early in Irys Kerry O'Donovan in Lepp and Jamie Kingston and Don Manway and won a posthumous award and that was Ricky Barrett in Trimley League, Patricia.
2: Ah, well done, well yes. done, and of course, as we're always saying, with these uh, Garda Youth Awards, just to get nominated is an amazing achievement. So, congratulations to to everyone. And we had a massive amount, Patricia, which is which is Brilliant. which is very encouraging, great to you know? hear. Yeah. And this week, finally, uh, James is National Community Engagement Week.
7: Yeah, I, I suppose previously we, we actually ran this over the one day and we've expanded it now to, um, to the week, Patricia, and we you know we cover topics like community safety, road and pedestrian safety, burglary and theft, personal safety and wellbeing and farm and rural safety. Um, our guardie, as always, our community Guardia and um, other guardie are out in force this week. Um, like even today, we have two stands. We have a stand in co uh, Coop between 12 and 2 p.m., and there's a stand in Riverview Shopping Centre. Between two and four pm, uh, I suppose, Patricia, we'd encourage the members of public to say hello, and if they have any questions or queries, uh, by all means, they help out also massively over the year, and we'd only be more than welcome to, to to answer any questions they may have. But um, there is um, a number of um, stands. All over the county. So um, they're more than welcome to call
2: in. We'd be delighted to see them. Keep a lookout for those across yes. the week. Thanks, uh, James. Yes. We'll speak again. But no thanks problems, for joining thanks us. For sure. Good morning you. to you, Guard the James Masters at Bandon Garda Guard And would you like to win for yourself a Fitbit? We're giving away Fitbits every day this week in association with the Irish Heart Foundation. We've teamed up with them because they are trying to promote all of us, particularly people over the age of 50, to get our, our blood pressure checked, get it checked annually, either at your GP are your pharmacy. So in order to keep everybody fit and healthy, we have a daily Fitbit to give away. Now I need a caller to join me on air. You'll be asked you'll be given fifteen seconds to name five items on a particular Subject: If you name the five items in the 15 seconds and 15 seconds doesn't sound like much, but every single one of our callers so far this week, I think have done it in about five seconds. They've <laughs> all been really, really quick uh, at it. So if you want to take part, get dialing now uh, 0818 103 103 and the Irish Heart Foundation tell us that two in Three people over the age of uh, 50 actually have high blood pressure. But the problem is that in the the two and three people over the age of 50, half of, of us are unaware that we have high blood pressure. So we're walking around with what could be a ticking time bomb. And that's why many times as we heard when we spoke with um, uh, Dr Angie Brown from the Irish Heart Foundation she's a leading cardiologist Uh, she was making the point that there are no symptoms of high blood pressure so what can often happen is somebody will have a heart attack or a stroke and then they will realise that the person has had or has been walking around with high blood pressure so you need to get your blood pressure checked and you need to get it checked every single year just to make sure there's nothing going wrong because if there is there are meds available Okay, stop calling us because uh, Diane now, is it Cochlin or Colin is in Drima League. Good afternoon to you, Diane. Hi, Patricia. It's Coughlin. It's Coughlin. It depends on what part of the city it's or county deep. you're in, you're Coughlin. Okay, um, and how are you doing today? What's it like in Drima League? The sun is blazing, it's is beautiful.
3: It? Yeah, it's great weather, isn't it? Oh thank God I have the washing machine full already. Have you? I'll any be hanging out clothes
2: soon. All <laughs> out on the line. It's great to see the yes. it's great to see the clothes fluttering in the breeze and there's nothing like washing that's dried. Out oh, in the fresh air.
3: Yeah, perfect. And it's in those it in a few hours, so can't complain.
2: OK, would you describe yourself as a fit person, Diane?
3: I try my best. Oh. I've never had a Fitbit though and I've well, always um, wanted one, to be honest. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And I think the very fact that you have a, a Fitbit It'll encourage it because, and then, exactly. you, and then, of course, you'll see your steps one day, and you'll try and beat that. I'm, I'm competitive yeah. even with myself. Okay, we have got a ticking clock of fifteen seconds for you and Diana Cochrane in Dream League. We want you to name five girls' names starting with the letter M. Five girls' in. names starting with the letter M. Go. Mary, Marguerite,
4: Marianne, Marie. Uh, Marcella
2: that's it you've done the five you've done the five and again you did it in less than five seconds I don't know why we're giving people 15 (laughs) seconds well done so we'll get a Fitbit inspired three to you and make sure Diana that you're tuned tomorrow because you're in with the draw one in five chance of winning the 250 euro voucher for Hotel Kilkenny so you get oh fantastic it'll be so good yeah a nice little night away okay that'll be great thanks so much for back with you to hang out that washing and uh, thanks a million for calling us bye bye Uh, Diana Cochlin. In uh, Dream League, one more Fitbit and one more qualifier, and we will do that uh, tomorrow. And um, we'll we'll tell you when you can call in and enter tomorrow. So remember, yesterday we were talking about robins and the significance of a robin, and some people love the seeing robins appear. I certainly love when I see robins appear. Others are a bit superstitious about uh, robins. Well, a listen listener says, Tricia, I heard you speak yesterday about the mighty robin, and then lo and behold, I came across this on a key Ring that somebody gave me once, and I'm hoping you can read it out. Says our Killarney listener, and it's a key ring with a, a lovely picture of a robin on it. In it's in a heart shape, lovely picture of a robin on it, and above the robin it says, "Robins appear when loved ones are near." Robins appear when loved ones are near and I am 100% with you on that one. Thank you for sending that on to us. 0818 103 103. We are a day away from the start of the Mallow Garden Festival at Cork Racecourse for 2023. It opens tomorrow, Friday, and then it's on Saturday and uh, Sunday. And we've teamed up with them right across this week because tomorrow we will give away a... 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint with a colour consultant to come out your house to help you pick the colour scheme all of our questions this week are based around colour because of the colour consultant coming to your home so we want to know today if you mix yellow and red together what colour does it make mix yellow and red together together what colour does it make answers only please on text and WhatsApp 0862 103 103. we'll leave the text and WhatsApps open for 10 minutes and then we will randomly select a winner from all of the correct answers so 0862 103 103. if you can tell us if you mix yellow and red together what colour will it make and if you're going along to the Mallow Garden Festival this weekend you can expect to see over 200 exhibitors the incredible garden shows the 25 permanent gardens are there lots of free seminars their own Peter Dowder will be doing seminars every day there's the vintage car show that lots of people talk about every year and go hungry because the Artisan Food Expo is there and they reckon there will be 5 million plants on uh, display and I don't know who said about counting those that's the Mallow Garden Festival Cork Racecourse opens tomorrow Friday 26th and it's on 27th and twenty eight in, our, in association with us here at uh, C103. Now, can I take a look at some of your calls and commentary? We've had a busy morning with uh, comments uh, coming in. Michael has been back on to us. Michael was the one who was against the notion of the government looking at flotels to house uh, asylum seekers. And we know the government is to put out tender in the summer, these so-called co- flotels, and they see it as a bid to secure uh, much-needed accommodation space for asylum seekers. And Michael was saying that they're going to put some of these flotels on the Liffey in Dublin and why are we ramming more people into the capital city when the capital city is already bursting and I was wondering then what was Michael's thought pattern was he completely against flotels or would he like to see them put in other parts of the country just don't put them in Dublin but he was back and he was saying no he reckons that we don't need flotels he said we have plenty of closed up accommodation or places that could easily adapt it to fit the requirements of asylum seekers and he says they're the length and breadth of the country He said in a few years time, what is going to happen to these hotels? There'll be white elephants. There'll be millions squandered on them. They should stop comparing us with other countries. We have structures in place. We need to use them. And you're right. There are definitely are boarded up and closed up accommodation around the country. But of course, as we've been seeing, when they try to open up accommodation around the country, not local people are not always happy. Now I know that a lot of that is to do with information not talking to local people and then the amount of misinformation that goes out and of course when you Get misinformation being put out by the uh, far right that fuels people's concerns and anger and then people who normally would never have considered protesting or suddenly out protesting. So like we do have a problem and a lot of it is to do with a lot of it is to do with communicating with local communities but we have to stem this misinformation that goes out as well. Thank you for your comment, Michael. And then a number of people uh, talking to us about the cost of living and it's touch, we've touched on it a few times on the programme uh, today but in particular, we had a pensioner who contacted us. They're a two pension household and they are struggling. They really are, are struggling. And they said that when they first got their pension, they thought happy days. It was they felt the first time that they had decent income coming into the house. But since the cost of living has increases of hit, they really are struggling at the moment. Well, somebody said that is ridiculous to say two pensioners can't live on what they're getting every week. Of course they can. We both have pensions in this house and we're really delighted to have it. I presume that they're not still paying a mortgage at this time in their lives. Surely 500 odd euro a week is a lot of money for two pensioners. Also, there's the extra fuel allowance that was given in the winter. Pensioners are doing okay, and that's come in from somebody who is a pensioner. While another listener says that was such a sad story, Patricia, to hear of that couple struggling to survive on their state pension. I wonder what one of your regular listeners, John in Cove, thinks about that comment. He's usually on saying how pensioners are so well off on their pensions. But with the cost of living gone so high, now that couple, along with so many other people, are really, really struggling. Now, the listener says, Trish, I find this thing of poverty in Ireland difficult to believe now that there are I find it very difficult to believe at the moment. There are so many handouts. There are so many great charities out there helping out people who are struggling. We also have cheap food shops that we never had before. So we are spoiled for choice. I'm starting to think that some people are just not able to manage their money and they're handling their finances badly. Many Not all. Many parents get free books and free uniforms. Where is it all going wrong? If you look in coffee shops and restaurants, they're full of the mummies and daddies and the kids out eating every day. So I don't buy all this whining. Says a listener. Hi, Patricia, this is Heidi. Just doing some shopping there. I've noticed the prices are still as high, particularly for things like cat food and coffee. Well, to be honest, says Heidi, all the items are still very expensive. It seems so wrong. Now, Heidi says the world retailers, I don't know, I don't know who you mean by the world retailers, say their prices have come down. It seems to Heidi that it's the supermarkets that are keeping the prices high. Somebody is ripping us off. It's really unfair. And that's where we need transparency from who's making, who, who, what group is making all of the profits. The producers uh, will say they're not and the, the middleman will say they're not. And the supermarkets will say they're not. But somebody is uh, for sure. Pat says, Patricia, everybody has a law. or well, most people do. We should all start growing and planting our own vegetables, plant potatoes, cabbage, onions and so on. There will be plenty of Food then coming into the house if we all start to grow our own. And the North Cork listener who had been on earlier about giving up their dog because they can't afford to feed the dog. And he he, he was saying in the text that on Mondays and Tuesdays, they obviously pick up whatever social welfare payment they get on a Wednesday. Monday and Tuesday, they survive on tea and bread. And I said to them, and I know it can be hard to reach out, there will be. You know, charities in the area that certainly will help somebody that's struggling that mo- that much, and I just didn't know where in North Cork the listener was texting from. And this listener says, "I would rather not say where in North Cork I'm living." But people who are finding it hard at the moment shouldn't have to go out and ask for help. It's not shameful but it should not be like that Patricia. Our dog was like a member of our family to us for the past 14 years. It sickens me uh, and my family that we had to give him up to the point we now miss him so much we're thinking of taking him back. Uh, one should not be living in these conditions. I'm totally fed up with the government and the previous uh, governments. I'm ashamed to be Irish at uh, the moment. And the that's from a North Cork listener. And someone else says, Trisha, heard you talking about the upcoming budget. We really have to look at all the taxes we've paid throughout the years, particularly people who've worked all of their lives. We pay taxes on every single red cent we earned. And then we saved to buy a house. Guess what? We pay taxes on that house. We pay taxes on cars. We pay taxes because of VAT on everything we buy. And then when we die, guess what? The family we leave anything to they will have inheritance tax. Inheritance tax is outrageous. I've said it to you before on the programme. They tax us when we when we're working, and then they tax us again when we die. I know the last time I brought it up, one of you listeners said they will never get rid of inheritance uh, tax. But I've even heard Leo Varadkar say that he would like to uh, reduce it. Yeah, you can be guaranteed there are two certainties in life, and that is death and taxes. The C three Cork Diary
1: with Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie.
2: Nine Ukrainian short comedy films will be shown in Skulmura in Kanturk tonight. It's at 6 p.m. It's a great opportunity to get to see the Ukrainian cin- cinema. Mission is free, but registration is necessary. At, and I'll spell out this word for you because I don't know how to pronounce it it's A-R-L-U-K-O-R at gmail.com The Forest Owners Cooperative will hold a field workshop on biodiversity. It's at the Forest Farm of Catherine and Michael Gearney in Kildallery and it's on today. Uh, They are looking for people to meet now at O'Sullivan Service Station in Kildallery. Three experts will be addressing the group. Kayleigh Sets in the Marion Hall in Ballinhassack on tomorrow night dancing from 9pm. Music by Andrew O'Connell and Matthew Kelleher admission 10 euro and that includes Tees. And the Fremont branch of the Irish Red Cross are holding a fundraising dance in Fremont Community Centre that's also tomorrow night. Dancing is to Declan Anger. Doors open at 8. Mission 10 euro and refreshments will be served. And Newtownshandrum Camogie Club uh, have opened a GoFundMe page. It's to allow supporters and businesses to sponsor the team. And they've also organised a car wash in Newtownshandrum GAA Pavilion next Sunday between 9 a.m. and 1 for people to get their cars washed ahead of the Cork versus Limerick game.
0: Cork today on C103
1: with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See MIG.ie.
2: And our Mallow Homes and Garden Festival, which officially gets underway tomorrow. Uh, John Paul has selected our qualifier for today, and our qualifier is Claire uh, Coughlin of Toher Village outside Dumb man, My Congratulations! That's another uh, Coughlin from West Cork who's a winner today. Well done, Claire. You've qualified. You're a step closer to a 500 euro voucher for Dulux Paint with the colour consultant who could come out to your house and help you pick the uh, colour scheme. The Garden Festival Fishing gets underway tomorrow, and then it's on on Saturday and Sunday, and the forecast is just amazing if you're traveling by train please note there is a free bus service from the train station on each of the three days of the mallow garden festival if you're going along enjoy 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 okay if you've got pet questions for jane pickett our resident vet can you get those into us now please oh eight one eight one oh three one oh three john paul's taking the calls you can text or WhatsApp in a pet question as well to 0862103103. 103. And uh, John Paul put up an Insta poll earlier. We've been running it all morning on C one zero three, and we've been asking the question: uh, Should vaping be banned in public spaces? And the results of that Insta poll: sixty eight percent of people who took part said yes, it should be banned. While thirty two percent said no. And I'm assuming that thirty two percent are probably the people that are vaping uh, themselves you can contact us via the C103 app if you don't already have our app download it now from the app store some of your calls come, oh, John in Cove heard his name being called out somebody said when we were talking about pensioners uh, was, was saying wonder that we haven't heard from John in Cove who's always giving out about pensioners and saying Should pensioners have the life of uh, Riley well lo and behold John in Cove heard us take his name in vain so he was on to John Paul on the phone straight away and he said he's not interested in commenting today on pensioners but he, ju- he still feels the same way he feels the pensioners in Ireland of today are living very well on what they get from the government they are living life to the full from what John can see. And John in the past has spoken about seeing pensioners, the ladies going off every week to have their hair done and he's seen them going out for meals etc. And he thinks they are doing extremely well. 0818103103 And somebody else says that they agree with uh, one of our other listeners who was commenting on the fact to do with the cost of living crisis and that uh, so many people are, I wouldn't say bleeding the system but so many people are relying on uh, handouts and that they're getting so much. This listener feels it's all becoming a bit of a habit. There are lots of people getting handouts either from the state or from charities. Look at the people getting child benefit. If you've got a family with young children, the under six have free medical cards. We're now talking about free books for everyone. We're talking about free meals for the primary uh, schools. That's all uh, coming in. Uh, The minimum wage, according to this uh, listener, needs to be increased and they need to reduce Social welfare entitlements. Now, that's not going to go down well uh, with anybody living on social welfare at the moment. But I'm assuming, again, you're leaning towards that squeezed middle and the people who feel that, you know, when all the handouts are given out, there are a cohort of people who get absolutely nothing and they are struggling too. 0818103103. Now, Catherine, and I'm. I'm a bit confused by your text, Catherine. What is the hold up with the spring bonus? I've been waiting for mine for weeks. Is there anyone else out there in that position? That's the 200, was it 200 or 100 euro that was given out to a certain group of people? I wonder, Catherine, I don't know what payment you're on. Were you entitled to it? Because I know at the time every single social welfare group wasn't entitled to it. It is possible that who you're whatever social welfare payment you are getting that you weren't entitled to it I would suggest if you are getting your payments through a post office to check in with the post office or else go online and check out and see if because as I say I just don't know what payment you're actually receiving but certainly that spring bonus uh, was paid out it was over a particular week back in April I'm sure it was paid out and it depended on what day you got your payment on you got that extra money. Uh, so, if you want to give that, if you if you just just look into it, but it could be I haven't heard of anybody else who was entitled to it who didn't uh, get it. Uh, if anybody else has advice on that, three. 103 103. Pet questions, keep those coming into us, please, because Jane is going to be joining us in a couple of minutes, and. I I thought this was interesting, and and I'm assuming other people would be in agreement in the with this. We know we have a huge issue with waiting lists at the hospital, to the point that we have only last weekend, 25 good souls from from not just West Cork but indeed all over uh, Cork headed up to Belfast. They did a round trip up to Belfast. Pre-ops done and back down on the bus in one day. Huge, huge uh, journey. Predominantly people looking for knee operations and hip operations. And that's because the waiting lists are so long uh, in this country. So in a bid to try to tackle hospital overcrowding and obviously to get more people in for operations, uh, the HSE employment contracts may be changed at the moment a lot of the HSE contracts are from Monday to Friday staff which means they're always off at the weekend and they do their five days across Monday to Friday and because of that hospitals often struggle then with high levels of patients who were on trolleys earlier on in the week because obviously there's a backlog at the weekend. So the HSE's chief Bernard Gloucester he has identified that Monday to Friday working is a contributor to more people lying on trolleys and he said having various staff on duty rather than on call over the weekend he feels it would improve the discharge of patients from hospitals they could go to dis- step down facilities and he said therefore it would also reduce admissions so a request was sent to staff yesterday now this is a request to volunteer to work over the June bank holiday weekend and the reason they're asking that is they know there was always a big backlog of trolleys the Tuesday after a bank holiday weekend. So, in order to prevent that, and it can be, and if they can get enough people to work over the bank holiday weekend, they'll be able to judge, compare it to a previous bank holiday weekend, and see has did it lessen the load of people on trolleys. Now, uh, Bernard Gloucester was speaking at the Aractus Health Committee uh, yesterday, and he said he hoped that the change in contracts to five days over seven days could be part of public service pay talks and the change would involve negotiation as well as extra staff. The new contract for hospital consultants already allows for senior doctors to be on duty and on site on a Saturday. And he said if a queue of consultants line up to work next Saturday and Sunday at the bank holiday weekend, he said they are very limited unless he can give them the support that they need in order to make decisions. You know, I mean, things like radiographers, people to test bloods, you know, they're going to need the other disciplines to sign up and say, yes, they're willing to work on a Saturday and a Sunday. So he's now sent out this request to all of the different disciplines to see would they be willing uh, to work. He added that he would know better then how the system would improve after the bank holiday weekend, he says, Look, I can almost use it as a test. And when he was asked about the HSE and the hospitals providing accommodation for health service staff. Now, this is due to high rents um, and that will be a way of alleviating shortages because we know that there are gaps in the system because the HSE said we can't get people to work and they can't get people to work because even if they offer them a contract, they then discover, well, I can't afford or I can't find accommodation in the area. So they turn down the job uh, offer. He says there was not... He says there's not an insignificant amount of land in the ownership of the HSC and the Land Development Agency, he said, has rightly set its sights on some of that. But he said he he couldn't foresee the HSC becoming a landlord, but what he saw was a possible role for an improved housing body. The, The idea would be that the priority would be given to support nurses from abroad, junior doctors who must move for training every six months and for student nurses. However, he added that there would be difficulties in deciding the criteria as to who would benefit from this accommodation, who would be allowed to apply and who wouldn't. He also revealed that the targeted recruitment campaign to attract Irish hospital consultants to return home and also for more foreign doctors to come here. He said that's been rolled out now in five countries and they have an incentive of a new contract. I'm assuming this is for the doctors of up to 300,000 euros. So they seem to be offering uh, good contracts. But it's, you know, and I saw a group of doctors and nurses in Australia uh, kind of had a little bit of a protest themselves with a sign saying give us something to come home for so A they want to be paid uh, well but they don't want to be working excessive hours they all are on very good working hour contracts in Australia and they also need some place to live so it isn't just as simple as saying we'll offer you a pile of money offering somebody a decent wage packet and then if they can't find anywhere to live it's simply not worth the paper it's written on
1: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast phone and text lines are currently closed
2: jane pickett of the islandwood veterinary hospital in newmarket part of the mill street veterinary group uh, joining me good afternoon jane
6: good afternoon patricia and you're
2: you're very welcome and you join the fine weather
6: oh it's absolutely beautiful we can't complain if it- if the rest of the summer is like this, then yeah,
2: it will be fabulous. It would be great. And now before we go to questions, just I want to give a shout out and a mention because uh, Rower in West Cork will do the most amazing uh, work. Uh, they do the trap, neuter and release uh, scheme as well. Uh, their annual street collection in Bantry is going to be held on Friday week, tomorrow week the 2nd of June and they're asking people if you see the volunteers around the town of Bantry with the collection buckets uh, to please support them. They're also looking for collectors if anyone would be willing to give up an hour uh, to help the animal welfare uh, charity you can contact at Roar thank you Deirdre uh, for sending that in to us now can I start with I know wild animals are not your specialty but you might be able to give some advice for Leanne who contacted mm-hmm. us from the north side of the city she's had foxes in her garden now the one of the foxes has had three cubs. The cubs are now running around the garden, and they're becoming quite bold and quite brazen. They're out, they're out during the day, whereas they were were only out in the evening time. I reckon when it was quiet. And uh, she she just doesn't know. Will they eventually go away? She doesn't want. To, she's fearful that they might start doing damage in the garden. But she said they really are cheeky. Any advice?
6: Okay. Well, what an amazing wildlife spectacle to have in your backyard. garden! I know they might be a little bit troublesome and a little bit naughty, but that's just such a, an amazing thing to see. Um, what I would say is they are probably young, a little bit cheeky. They're learning their boundaries. They're probably going through their adolescent phase. So they're kind of trying to gain a little bit of independence from mum and that gaining independence should continue. So what I would suggest is that, I would try and enjoy the time you have to observe the Cubs because it probably won't last forever. I would suspect that with natural maturity and gaining their own independence, they may well move off into other areas. They don't tend to be creatures that will stick in one spot from one garden. Like, let's say a feral cat might take a a liking to a particular household. They tend to have a larger territory. So although they may be found kind of in, in little packs, sometimes they do tend to want to gain independence from their family. So I suspect... They won't they won't spend their lives tearing up your garden, or at least I doubt yeah. it. It's and I, like I have to say,
2: when I saw Leanne's call come in, I, I thought the very same thing as you. I thought, oh, I'd love that in my garden. I would sit and watch them for hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and they will move off. That's yeah. the nature of, of uh, yeah. wild animals. OK, um, Eileen in Bantry got a rescue dog. Well done, Eileen, about uh, 10 months ago. Golden Labrador. Uh, He's coming up to his third birthday, but she said he's still incredibly nervous. Also, when she took him from the rescue centre, they said to her that they had tried a spot on, but he was allergic to the spot on. So she's wondering what else can you suggest? So, two questions in one.
6: Okay okay so really well done for taking on a a rehomed pet you know it's the best thing to do we have loads of lovely beautiful unwanted particularly adult dogs out there in the rescues for example the ISPCA and many other private rescues so really well done for taking one of those on rather than rather than buying a new pup you're doing a great deed there it can however come along with a few issues and I suppose as you said their ongoing nervousness is one of the main ones When we take on a pet, we don't really know their background sometimes when they come from, let's say, a rescue environment. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And sometimes they may they may be fearful or nervous due to lack of socialization just because they, let's say, weren't exposed to normal kind of everyday experiences with other dogs and humans in that critical puppy phase. Or it might be that they had a genuine reason to to be fearful and nervous of humans. What I will say, though, is it really is time. I know it may have been 10 months since you've taken the pet on, but sometimes it can take a bit longer. What I will say, though, is it's just really important to ha- to to work on it and make progress, and I'm sure you will do. And I'm sure you probably make great strides if the nervousness is persisting at this point I'd suggest discussing with your vet who they'd recommend as a local and qualified dog behaviorist to get them involved because sometimes let's say a second pair of eyes that's used to looking at these things and used to reading dogs behavior will be able to look at a situation and the situations that are triggering that particular pet to be fearful and nervous and they might be able to you know figure out well why might that be and what strategies can we put in place to help them work through that so it's probably a great deal of work you've done in your first 10 months settling that pet in and getting them feel a bit more relaxed with you guys but now as they explore out into the world they need to gain a little bit of confidence so it might need some professional help and your local vet is the best person to let you know who's who's available and who's safe to use so who's fully qualified in your area so they're the best port to call as regards the spot on that's an interesting one so very much like you or i where we might have sensitive skin and might react to a certain beauty product as it were or cream dogs can do the same thing so sometimes sometimes it may be the the active ingredient in that product that they may have reacted to or sometimes it's the excipient so what it's carried in so the liquidy bit a, I wouldn't suggest using that product again in your pet if they are, have had a known reaction to it, but it would be worth discussing with your vet what other options are there. So if you know what the product wants to begin with, you'll be able to tell your vet and they might be able to give you another alternative, a different type of spot on. But for fleas, mites and ticks, now we are lucky enough that there are a number of tablet formulations that will prevent against ticks, fleas, mites. There's a number of different ones on the market, but it's really important to get one that comes from your vet or your pharmacist that is a prescription only medicine because we know that those ones particularly when your pet is taking something by mouth that it's safe and effective Um, so that would be the best thing I think maybe if you're worried about putting something onto the neck maybe a tablet might be a And good are, they, are they, they as good
2: as the spot-ons because we know how great the spot-ons are
6: yeah, they are. They're really right. I think the main thing is getting a good quality one and the ones that are prescription only that, let's say you would have to have prescribed by a vet or are available in the pharmacy, they will be, they will be the good ones. We know that they're effective because they've gone through really rigorous testing to make sure that they work. Um, And I suppose the thing with spot-ons is, you know, there's lots of really great ones out there, but sometimes the application is really essential how you put it on. But, Again, some products come in different strengths and the stronger ones that we know are really safe and effective will usually be available from your, from your vet. Um, okay. And the ones that, let's say, are available elsewhere might be a little bit different.
2: OK, uh, Jane is in Mallow, a male uh, cat, healthy, but she's noticed the cat has developed a cyst on the side of his ear, seems to be pus in it. Now, it's a wild, it's a feral uh, cat um, to bring into the vet uh, would be a problem. Will it just clear up itself?
6: Okay, so yeah, with these little wild cats it can be a really challenging situation. We become so fond of them feeding them sometimes and seeing them around, but still a lot of them won't let us near them to catch them, to to get the medical attention. It's always a bit of a concern. Uh, from your description, it sounds like we might have a bit of an abscess going on. It's really common in feral cats to have cat bite abscesses where they may have uh, been in the war slightly with some of the, the comrades that may be roaming in their territory. And, you know, cats mouths are filled with really nasty things. So when they bite each other, it sets up a really nasty infection. The vast majority of the time, if that is what it is for this little kitty cat, It will resolve on its own, but some will need antibiotics to help it along. What I would say is to watch this little cat carefully, I suppose. In a perfect world, they'd be saying, you know, take him to the vet to get him checked over. And that's the surest way of of having a safe way forward for the cat. But if that's not possible, watch him really carefully. But if you have any concerns it would be a case of maybe contacting the ISPCA or uh, let's say a, a, a welfare charity that would have trap cages that would mean you would be safely able to catch the cat and get some assistance with springing to the vet.
2: And we've done that successfully for other cats as well. Okay and finally Dennis is yeah. listening to us online in Oxford. Springer Spaniel 14 months old, treated for fleas and worms but he's biting and nicking his ankles on his back legs to the point that they're red. What could be causing it and his is there anything that uh, Dennis can get or what would you suggest?
6: Oh, bless him. So I think really well done on taking the basic steps of, you know, getting your, your common things ticked off. So the parasite control with the flea ticks, mites is really essential and the wormers. What I will say is that they're, apart from that, although parasites are really common, there are a lot of other things that can cause itching and scratching. And, you know, sometimes it can be very localised into areas like the ankles, the back legs. Um, sometimes it can be a bacterial infection, a yeast overgrowth. But something we see really commonly, let's say, on the underside of the belly and along the back and the front legs is if they have a contact allergy to something that's out there. For example, at the moment, it's, it's high season for all of the environmental allergens outside. So all the pollens, all the grass allergies. They're all coming through the doors. So whether it is something just that your pet has been in contact with, it's causing them to itch either way in this situation whatever the cause I will pop him to your vet make him aware of the situation he'll be able to assess the skin and she'll be able to take some do some tests potentially if if necessary delve a little bit further into the history and it may be it may be something like a contact allergy that's possible and but the important things will be able to get your pet medication to make them feel better to either solve the problem or in the case of the allergy to to soothe the itching so that they're not driven driven demented from the itch so it's really important to kind of just make sure they're Comfortable in that situation and getting that in attention. Yeah, and
2: we know ourselves if you have an itch, it will drive you bonkers. Okay, we leave it there, Jane. Thank you for that. And have a lovely week, and we'll chat to you again next Thursday.
6: You too, thank bye you. Bye bye,
2: enjoy the fine weather that is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital, uh, part of the Mill Street Veterinary uh, Group and that's where I have to wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you on this beautiful sunny afternoon. We're back with you tomorrow for the final one of uh, the week where we'll give away our Julux voucher for €500. Euro. We'll be doing that on the programme and another Fitbit to give away all t- t- tomorrow at 10. Cork
0: Today on C. 103.
1: With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk. See mig.ie.